Hi everyone, and welcome to Tea and the Law of Raspberry Jam, a podcast by me, Victor Sesson, and Esther Derby, with conversations and interviews about coaching systems, agile, management, culture, continuous improvement, and much, much more. The Law of Raspberry Jam is one of the laws spelled out by Jerry Weinberg, and it states the more you spread it, the thinner it gets. It refers to dilution of messages, and when we dilute a message, we can significantly weaken it or possibly even change the entire meaning of it. With Agile having become commoditized over the years, we think that many messages have been diluted, and we'd like to share our perspective on some of them. In our first episode, I interview Esther about how being a beginner at something increases your empathy, much like we are to hosting podcasts. It's something she was reminded of at a recent arts class she took. We talk about what empathy is, why it's important, and give you some tips on what you can do to increase your empathy. So without further ado, here's our first episode. We hope you'll like it. We're going to talk about my um, my recent adventure at uh, an art class, a two-week-long art class, and how that relates to the work we do with clients. One of the reasons I was interested in this class, I, mean, I was interested in the content, I was interested in studying the art aspect of it, but I was really interested to observe my own learning process um, as a, essentially a beginner to gain empathy with um, more empathy. I already had empathy, but to gain more empathy and more specific empathetic experience of what it's like to not get it. I think that as a first step, let's define what empathy means. Good idea, because I think there's a lot of confusion about that word. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Yeah, so first, first of all, empathy is not the same as sympathy. Sympathy implies that you, you share a feeling with somebody, and empathy says you understand the feeling, but you might not personally share it at this point in time. Is share, So sharing and experiencing are different things. Yeah, well, if you... So, so let me give you an example. Of a, a dear friend of mine just lost her brother. And I, uh, I have not lost my brother, so I don't, I don't know exactly how she's feeling. I have never been in that situation. But I can feel some sense of loss. I have had the experience of losing people. So I shared a little bit of that loss. Not to the extent that she did, but I could share that feeling. I could feel sadness that her brother died at a, suddenly and at an early age. So that's what is called emotional empathy. Well, I would say that, that I would say that was sympathy because I could actually share sympathy. the feeling. Hmm. You know, if if so, but if somebody lost their um, pet fish. I I could empathize. I could say I you know I understand that this you know what is a big loss to you, but I probably wouldn't share much sense of sadness about losing a fish. A dog, I would, but not a fish. Does that does that distinction help? It it um, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I wonder if there is a cultural difference. Could could um, very well be. 
the part about the process which automatically awakens like a, a matching emotion with me when I observe someone or hear taken information to me that's the part of uh, emotional the, the emotional empathy mm-hmm. um, but I, th- I think that the key point for me is that you um, recognize the other person's feeling is valid hmm. right whether you physically yeah. share it or not, you recognize that it's there and that it's valid. And is that the part that you call cognitive empathy? Um, I think, well, I, I think people usually first think about empathy in terms of emotions, but uh, it's not the only kind of empathy. I think for me, cognitive empathy is understanding how people think so taking the taking the trouble to see how people are thinking through something and point of view empathy is acknowledging that it may look different depending on where you stand you know a, um a policy may feel very different to someone in management versus someone who's a who's a developer right yeah they have access to different parts of the company, to different right. uh, information, have different expectations on them. Different power, different status, yeah. Different, um, perhaps different uh, impacts will come from the policy. So how it plays out really, in that case, depends on you know where you stand. And so that's that, that's being able to acknowledge point of view empathy for me is being able to acknowledge that. Um, my way of looking at this is not the only way of looking at it. Um, so what's going on in my mind is this drive to want to combine our different views on empathy. Um, we don't need to do that. I'm just so putting words, summarizing what I've heard is the ability to or acknowledging someone else's state, Mm -hmm. understanding how they reason about things, Mm -hmm. and that they may have another point of view which affects their decision-making and behaviors. Yeah. Is that about right? Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, it's like this is a a standalone human with their own... You know, emotional life related to this, and their own intellectual life related to the situation. So they're going to see it differently. And empathy acknowledges that. So you got to be a part of the management group that took in a coach, not knowing anything, and had to rely on. Well, in some ways, it's even um, it's more nuanced than that because I actually have a, an undergraduate degree in art history. So you'd think I'd know some stuff about art, right? And I do. I do know stuff about art. So it's not like, uh, you know, the the people we work with, the management groups we work with, the dev groups we work with are are a complete blank slate and they know nothing. They know stuff. But it's still possible, even having a base of knowledge, to be in the situation where, like I was in this class from time to time, where I understood the English words that were being spoken 
but the concept behind them was went completely over my head. I just had no idea. So like the, the instructor would talk about, and she's an internationally um, known artist. Um, she'd talk about tension between the figure and ground. And I, I understand the word tension. I understand the word figure. I understand the word ground. I understand the word between. But I didn't get what she meant for a while. Right. So so I was in that situation that I think a lot of people who are new to agile or new to lean or new to some of the management concepts that you and I talk with people about that they understand all the words. And they have meaning in their context, but not necessarily. Um, but the concept that we're trying to convey may not. Um, they may not have anything to hang it on yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I'm curious about is how did this affect your ability to participate? I mean, I have a, a, a load, loads of questions. Uh, I'll just ask a few to give sure. you a sense of what I'm, what I'm really curious about. You know, how did this did this spark defensive behavior? How did this affect your ability to collaborate and and mm -hmm. and, and learn and mm -hmm. be open to new ideas? So like, I'm wondering like how did this affect you? Well, one, I was I was aware going in and just alert just to notice what my emotional responses were going to be. Um, two, I had chosen to be there, so I, it wasn't like. Um, you know, what happens in a lot of organizations where, you know, someone will say, oh, we're going agile, and then everybody is expected to learn this completely new way of working. So I, I chose, um, and I couldn't leave. Well, I, I mean, I could have, but it was um, it was a, a day and a half drive away, so it wouldn't be, and, and I didn't have my car there, so, you know, I, so I had to stay and figure out how to make the best of it because I, I had come to learn and I had to work through um, the, the, um, the pattern I, I noticed myself going through. So have you, have you noted this pattern? Is this the first time this happens to you mm -mm. or, okay. So you, mm -mm. you, <clears throat> No, it's not the first time it's happened to me, and it's not the first time I've I've observed it. So, so you um, have some com you're you're comfortable to a certain extent with not being comfortable. Yeah, I have some practice in that. I mean, I, yeah. I make a point of of putting myself in situations where I'm not entirely comfortable, um, so that I'm you know I'm always on the edge of learning something, um, but I make choices about which sorts of situations those are generally. Um, so. I'm, so I'm going to tell a little story that goes back to a workshop I did um, where I first start, I, I started noticing this pattern. Um, and I, I, I give, give it was a, a workshop on, um, I don't remember what, but I'd have people do some exercise that, you know, involved building some structure according to some instructions with pipe cleaners or something like that. And then I would ask people afterwards to... Um, draw a draw a chart that showed 
their, you know, their, their energy. I just usually ask for energy because it's a kind of a neutral term. And I noticed that um, there was a distinct pattern where people would think they got it and then realize they didn't and it would dip. And then they'd think they'd get it and they didn't and it would dip. So it was, it was this pattern of, oh, I get it. Oh, it's fun. It's enthusiastic. And then, oh, no, I don't get it. Uh, and then back up. And, and if you think about it, in some ways, it's very similar to the curve that you see in Virginia Satir's change model. Yeah, that's, that's the mental image I got as yeah. you were describing it. So you have some status quo where you understand things to a certain, in a certain way, and you get a foreign element that causes, um, causes sometimes no reaction at all, but you know, when you're really trying to work with it, it can cause you to feel a little uncomfortable and, and shake up your mental image of how things work. And then you, you, know, you get some ideas on how to work with it and you, gen you slowly practice those and integrate the concept and then you feel comfortable again. And so I went through that. I went through that many times, just as the people in my workshop, you know, um, graphing their energy had this, you know, oh, we, we get it. It's fine. And then a dip. And, oh, we have to climb up out of that. Now you climb up out of it by working, by just trying something. Well, that's what. You could also decide to uh, um, eject yourself. That's also a way. Sure, and um, and there was there was a person in this work this two week workshop that decided to take herself out of it. Said yeah. it was it was not to, she was not comfortable with it, so she left midweek, and that's fine. I mean that was her choice. But this also happens in our work. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, and this looks very differently. Sometimes um, a person just checks out mentally mm -hmm. and they don't participate. They'll be there. Mm -hmm. Their body will be there. Mm -hmm. I had some moments like that. I'd go take a little walk. I'd decide I needed a, a drink of water. We weren't allowed to have water in the, in the actual workroom. So I'd, I'd leave the workroom so I could go get some water. You know, and, and basically was I just needed to be away. I didn't really need any water at that moment necessarily, but it was a way to defocus from the discomfort. But so so there are so I'm I'm thinking there are three things there are lots of things, but three mm -hmm. things that are really interesting about this. And one is like if I'm a coach, why is this important for me to acknowledge? If I'm a coach or a scrum master or some sort of uh facilitator listening like why is this important for me to listen to I think that's one uh, track that's interesting to explore mm -hmm. another is if I'm a participant and I'm experiencing these kinds of emotions like um, as a result of a coach coming into the team or a consultant or someone new um, and then like uh, and the third part would be like what do we do in this situation mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, um, and it reminds me of another story, of course. Um, so some years ago, I was in a setting where someone who was a scrum trainer was complaining, um, complaining about these people in her workshop who asked her questions, and they challenged her. 
and they just wanted to explanations and they weren't sure it was going to work. And I said, hmm, what's wrong with that? You know, I mean, they're, they're trying to understand the concept. They're trying to relate it to what they already know. That's kind of what I want in a class is I want people to, to work to understand the concepts. And her response was that she just wanted them to drink the Kool-Aid, which is, a, you know, a really disturbing metaphor if you were alive um, during the time when that became uh, a metaphor for a certain thing. Um, but I think a lot of, 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 well, I don't know if it's a lot, but I think there's a certain number of coaches, um, consultants, whatever, who go into an organization with a concept that they're very, very comfortable with, and they expect that everyone else will drink the Kool-Aid. Just love it and just do it without... Um, going through their own mental process. Okay. So these people could, th and this could be a lack of empathy, mm -hmm. but it could also be, I I'm thinking like they could, it, they, they might not just realize that this is, well, that's empathy too. So, so this is a lack of empathy then. Um, well, or a failure to access their empathy. I don't want to say those people don't have empathy, but you no, know, no. I, I mean, I see that often as well with with executives who have been thinking about the need to make a change for a long time, and they've thought through all the issues, and they, you know, they're very convinced that it's the right thing to do, and they forget that other people in the organization haven't been thinking about it for six months to a year and, um, you know, need that time to absorb. So if you're a coach and you're getting, you're getting a response. Mm -hmm. So if you're a coach, then I guess advice for coaches listening who are getting this kind of reaction where you're getting pushed back or you're getting a completely different reaction than what you were expecting, mm -hmm. uh, a good question to ask yourself could be, like, what do I think these people are going through? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how do I think I'm making these people feel with mm -hmm. by me introducing these new concepts? Mm -hmm. The one thing I do is I try to bring in analogies from everyday life. Because I find that people often have a very different model of how things work at work than their model of how things work in the real world. So I find that that sometimes helps, you know, because it, it, you know, on some level it connects with them a little bit saying, you know, we both have a shared experience, but it also lets them move into a different concept. So, so for example, when I'm, um, when I'm talking to people about, and this is a pretty simple example, but it's one that comes up a lot, is if I'm talking to people about um, how um, work and, you know, having high work in progress, high whip slows things down, um, managers have been, you know, taught for years that, you know, you just, you, you know, you load people up and you push them and, and then things will happen. But everybody at home knows that if you're working on seven home repair projects or you're painting every room in your house and each room's a different color and you're, you know, you're working on all of them or you're working on, you know, seven different knitting projects, whatever, 
um, not much gets done. Right? But if you focus on one and you finish it, it moves faster. So I look for those sorts of analogies to help bridge concepts. <clears throat> yeah, but you've already acknowledged then that, okay, wow, um, the people I'm working with here or who, who are consulting with me, they are not, they're struggling to understand or this is like scary for them or they've never, mm -hmm. they've never been in this situation. So I need to identify and communicate this through analogies that they can understand. Um. I think actually in the example I gave, because I, I think what you just you just described happens, um, but I think in the in the example I gave, it, it's it's more like they already know this stuff, they just don't know it in this context. So I have to connect the context. Yeah, but you've yeah. already acknowledged, like you have this, so you have <clears throat> cognitive empathy then, or you you've accessed your cognitive yeah. empathy. Yeah. And. So basically is, I guess, then what we're saying is, as a coach, you need to have access to your empathy and intuition, or when you have access to it, it's much easier to work with groups and be helpful. Yeah. Because yeah. you can, you can, you can mirror or you can talk in analogies that they understand, you can adjust your style, you, you can, can raise topics. You can topics. relate to the fact that, you know, it's a difficult and uncertain time or a confusing time, which I think makes a huge difference. I remember, um, I remember a, a, a fairly well-known consultant who shall remain nameless, who in a conference session was uh, talking about how he had been helping a particular organization learn to do certain things. And uh, he was bragging about how how he made people cry and told them, you're too ignorant to have a job. You're too, you know, your skills are so bad, you should be grateful you even have a job, you know, and this sort of thing, um, uh, which is astonishing to me, right? That's, it's such a bad place to start from. So just before you shared this, what I was thinking about was, I don't think that everyone shares this view. I think that even if we did talk about, like we're talking about this, um, some I think some people have a very different view on this. I don't think I think well, some yeah. people don't think empathy is important. I, it uh, might obviously even obviously the obstruct. guy I just described. Yeah, and I mean in sports, for example, I think that some I think some people seem to be motivated by failure and like what they refer to as tough love, but tough love can be mean so many things. It's mm -hmm. so ambiguous. But, and I just... Well, I think a lot of people have been subjected to that sort of um, treatment themselves, and so they internalize that that's how you learn. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I knew a woman who uh, uh, grew up in a military family and her, you know, her father was, uh, I think it was, he, I think he was a Marine. He was a Marine officer. And he was, from her description, pretty brutal. You know, he's very demanding. He didn't accept mistakes. You know, if you did, if you did, didn't get something immediately, um, he would yell. And I'm not saying this is true of all Marines or all uh, uh, military officers, but this was true of her, 
her father, and she internalized that as the way to teach people. And she had very high turnover in her group, and she never quite figured out why. But I agree, there are people who don't share a value for empathy. I know there are some people who have been fairly effective also uh, in, in, in turning off their empathy. And when mm -hmm. they then come into a situation where empathy would be helpful, they are very limited. Uh, like the impact they can have is limited. So mm -hmm. there might be situations where being very direct and inconsiderate uh, is helpful. Um, but there are situations where it's well. It there are situations where it can give effect. Not to say that being empathetical might have been more effective. Um, but I think there are some. There are people who have had an effect sure. being direct and sure. inconsiderate. So, so can you think of an example? Um. I can think of, well, yeah, not as in, oh, I knew this person who, yeah. um, but more in terms of people who have a need to, um, so it, it goes back to your self-esteem. So people who have a need to be inferior or feel inferior, when you match them with people who have a need to feel superior, there's very little empathy. Mm-hmm. And so that's a destruct that's an effective but destructive relationship. And when you mix people like that and you have an abusive or a bully boss for example yeah. with uh then you 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 get an effect. Uh but these people get burnt out. Well, I I think they have multiple effects um and they only track some subset of them. So I'm I'm remembering yeah. a situation where uh you know there was a, a very top down change and I tried to make the case that you know maybe we should get some input maybe we should talk about um how we can phase into this you know there were you know I had a bunch of considerations um that uh I I thought were worth considering and um his point of view was well we're going to make this change and people will complain but they'll get over it yeah, they'll squawk, but they'll get over it. And uh, on some level, he was correct, right? He did what he wanted to do, and uh, people complained and were um, angry, and eventually they decided that their, um, you know, their financial interests, at least, uh, at least a substantial number of them, not everyone got to this point, but that, yeah, it's in my financial interest to go along, even if I'm, I'm outraged by this decision. And some people walked away. Um, but I don't think he calculated the loss of trust and engagement. Or he didn't care. He didn't, or he didn't believe care. It. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if we're just looking for examples of people not valuing empathy, I spoke to a VP many years ago. He, he, he said that he really, if he found, he, he wanted to hire one of the top hires for him or the categories, he wanted to hire a certain minority group because they would be so grateful that they would accept the job for less pay, work harder. And 
to me, that's a sign of not being empathetical. Well, it, it's uh, it's a sign of, of lacking a certain moral compass. Yeah, a- according and, to my ethical standards. But I think it touches on what you said. If what you measure, I mean, you, you said mm-hmm. that they only looked at certain uh, certain metrics mm-hmm. and they got the results that they were looking for. So this VP, he was only looking at, you know, cost and wor- number of hours worked. Mm-hmm. So in his worldview, his style and his decision-making was very effective. Well, he also was looking at, you know, these people are, are going to be so grateful to have a job that they're not going to complain about anything, so they'll put up with substandard conditions. That was also part yeah. of his calculus in the story. Um, so, so I, you know, going back a little bit, I mean, I think there are situations where it is effective and necessary to not necessarily access your empathy and listen to what everybody has to say and try to engage people. I mean, I, I, I used to sail, and there were times when, um, you know, whoever was uh, captaining the boat would say, tack or drop the sail, or whatever, and you did it, right? Because very often it was, you know, it was something that was about everyone's safety. And so so in that case, it wasn't a situation where, you know, you had to access your empathy other than empathy of, well, I don't want to kill all of my, all of my shipmates here. But still, that's, I don't, to, there, there's not, it's not, um, these are not opposites. There are certain, you could have a follow-up saying, okay, this happened. How does everyone feel about it? Or like, mm-hmm. is there anyone who has anything they'd like to share before we, like, we've we've, we've sorted out the situation? Like, sure. okay, we, I acknowledge that it might have been tough for some of us. Like, is there anything you want to talk about before we just drop this? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't see how, for me, having empathy doesn't mean being lovey, huggy, only caring about feelings, not caring about results. Uh, On the contrary, I don't think you can. You can't get results without having access to empathy. Well, I'm sure we could find some examples oh, with for yeah. people who did, but I, you know, I, that's not the way I want to work. So let me rephrase that. I mean, I think if you want sustainable results that yeah. improve, you're gonna you're gonna have a much better chance if you have access to empathy. Yeah, hey, I agree. So, but so going back to like, if you're a coach mm-hmm. and you're getting pushback or resistance, this could be an area for you to explore. Absolutely. There's usually a a lot of information in that sort of response. You know, you might find out what people are afraid of, um, what they, you know, what they don't know, what their concerns are. You may learn about some risks that um, you hadn't considered that are really worth thinking about. You may find out you, your idea won't work. Yeah. 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 So that's fine. Whatever happens, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna get information, and you're gonna you're gonna strengthen your relationship with people in the mm-hmm. group or the entire group. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, if you're a member of a group and you're noticing that other people are either obnoxious or not empathetical or not understanding you or just pushing, that could also be a sign that 
you're not feeling like you you don't have empathy. You're not accessing your empathy towards them. But it could also mean that you're not accessing your empathy towards yourself and you're not listening to yourself and you're not speaking your truth. Mm-hmm. Could be. And I this is something I see a lot. I don't uh, I I see a, a lot of people in groups just sit silently while their values are being violated. Um I think that's they an, don't, I think that's endemic in the corporate world. Yeah, and so so here is like rather than and I I think I think a reason for this is we we don't know people are uncomfortable they think that if they they don't know how to raise topics in a constructive and non-confronting way. And so I've worked with one pattern I see a lot is I I see these these uh opposite reactions. One one reaction is people just explode directly. Uh and another is people try to be nice and they change the subject and they think by being nice and being likable people are going to listen to them more but they don't get the result they're looking for and eventually they explode as well so these explosions are to me often a sign of a lack of empathy somewhere well it it also sounds a little bit like the the placating and blame seesaw yeah you know, placate, yes placate placate until i you know just my gullet's full and then it'll all spew out in blame And so these are two coping stances from Virginia Satir's uh Yeah, and and you have a you have a little write up about them on your blog, I think. That you could point people to. It's getting time to wrap up. Uh let's talk about a few tips on either books or articles that our listeners can uh, take part of or or um videos online sure uh, if they want to learn more about empathy and i know you have a few tips and some self reflection questions sure um so i i guess the the two um online sources that come to mind for me and they're not like straight on empathy but i think it's closely related are brene brown and her work on vulnerability and amy edmondson and her work on safety i think it's it's highly related i also think virginia satir's uh, work is highly related and mm-hmm. particularly the parts about coping stances mhm mhm well it it's congruence right and co- coping stances will, is what happens when you're not congruent so that part i think is valuable absolutely i know you've told me about people who read more fiction. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I came across um an article that referenced a study that says people who read novels have more um ability to be empathetic. Because in some ways they're reading into someone else's life and they're deeply connecting with someone with this character and very often when people read novels they experience those emotions. So the very act of reading fiction develops your ability to, to to be empathetic which i thought was absolutely fascinating but then once i thought about it it made complete sense uh-oh i haven't read a lot of fiction the last year oh well but if you've read some in your life 
<laughs> I, I don't think I don't think it has an expiration date. I don't think it's like if you read a lot of fiction in college and you haven't read any lately. It's, I think it's you're, you're okay. You're good. Oh, oof! Dodge, <laughs> dodge one there. Um. So, so, so I, yeah. Well, I was just going to say ahead. another thing. You know, if you're if you really don't want to read novels, or I think. Um, one thing you can do is you can ask yourself some reflection questions. I mean, you can simply ask yourself, how might this look to someone else? Hmm. How might how might this look to someone who's in a different position? Yeah. And those are pretty simple questions. Um, and and I think most people can, can dream into them. I have met some people who can't. Um, but... Which reminds me of another story, but that's for another time. Yeah. Um, I think there's also exercises, team exercises, and you know, getting to know each other exercises are mm -hmm. where you learn more about someone's life. Uh, life. You you when you gain another a deeper understanding of someone's life, who they are, you get more empathy towards them. I think that's true. Which goes a little bit against, uh, has the same point as fiction, right? When yeah. you're, the more you know about people, the more empathy you can have. Yeah. Or the easier it is to access the empathy, like you said. Yeah. So we'll put these, um, we'll put these in our session notes so people can find them, right? Yes, of course. Okay, so thanks a lot for listening and for sharing, Esther. My pleasure. It's always really great to talk with you, and I hope um, I hope folks will share their ideas about this podcast. 